That's the first time you've ever said hi first. I'm so happy. I went for it because I knew you were going to be sad if I didn't do it. I can't hear another. You never say hi first. Hi. Okay. Well, there goes that. <laughs> and that, my friends, is called a 180-360. We're right back. <laughs> Hello. How hello. Are you? Hello, fellow marketeer. Hello, and hello to our listeners. Lindsay and I were just exchanging hair tips. First question. Yes. How do you get some? Side part. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They say that makes you look old now, right? I don't care. Well, I don't think it does. I am old. If that's, if you're judging me on my side part, you have a lot of extra time on your hands. My understanding is if you can pull off a, a center or a middle part, you have an, a symmetrical face. Is that true? <laughs> If you don't uh, have well, yeah, a symmetrical they say symmetry face. symmetry is what defines beauty, right? The more symmetrical people's faces are, the more beautiful they look. That's the what, more no, accepting that's... we are of like their aesthetic subconsciously. Yes. I do the center part anyway. I don't care. Yeah, I, I, I know you as center part Lindsay. Yeah. That's you know me as... on my tombstone. You know me as the parting, parting the Red Sea, Sean. Twelve inch part, Sean. <laughs> My head's not that big. Well, that's another thing I've heard is that people with large heads are more attractive as like television personalities. So, like oh. they would talk about apparently Vanna they White look like has a, a huge head. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> Lindsay, this is your spotlight. Oh, no. So turn on that ring light. Lindsay, this is about you <laughs> and your rant. I mean, your beliefs. Uh, uh, I feel like we just talked about, you know, we keep going back to our big revelations of what we learned last year. And mm -hmm. we just talked about B2B, which was probably Lindsay's biggest revelation, which was um, B2B is sexy. Uh, but the other revelation that I think is really there's well actually there's two one is just because you did it before doesn't mean you should do it again <gasps> yes what was the other one uh mindset you can no longer segment by by demographic and psychographic because people yeah. like lindsay might not be like lindsay yeah they go hand in hand as well like the you do not have to do what you once did and mindset is everything go hand in hand because one like feeds the other yeah and i think to to bring it right back up to i think what started this rant craziness but you're so right <laughs> is um that idea that the biggest thing we're going to need to face is that things are especially like in marketing and creative and that sort of thing is things are evolving at the speed of culture Boom. and it's like what does that mean and it means so many things but specifically i think what today's about is ties into just because you did it before is we're now at this very uncomfortable phase in the industry where there is going to have to be a mindset shift in the industry about how we do things because no longer are we able to take the time it has taken in the past to respond or even actually i'd almost say mm -hmm. marketing in the past has never been set up to really need to respond traditional marketing was never there to truly respond right until at, the birth of social times. media essentially 
Yeah, and even that took a when while. When we were but now, like, we have to respond now. <laughs> People can talk to us. Yeah, and Lindsay was, you were probably at that sort of really early time in social where yeah. clients weren't even going on social because they didn't want to engage in any conversation that, you know, the, the negative topics or the pushbacks. And now we're at that point. But shockingly, the industry is still struggling around um, how do you plan for that? Mm -hmm. And back then in like 2010, there would be in your community management playbooks that we would write like a 17 step <laughs> escalation process to answer one tweet that would be escalated to the with CMO approvals at every level. At yes. Nationwide retailers. I'm like for one tweet, this ship is going to go down. <laughs> we need to figure this out. <clears throat> so what do we do? Oh, too late. What do we do? <laughs> oh, too late. Yeah. So where this all came from was pandemic hits. And I think essentially the vibe was we're going to take this plan and put it on the shelf until it goes back to normal. And then we're going to pick it up and put it back out. Park it. Yeah, so it was very much like short-term bleeding. What do we do in the next six weeks? What do we do in the next three months? What do we do in the next six months? They're going to like dust her back off once um, everything goes back to normal, I think was kind of the mentality. So of course, you know, two years rolls on and we're like, okay, we can't do nothing. This can't just be like stop the bleeding type scenario for years, right? So Around the holiday season, so a few months back, I started working with a client that was like, great, events are back on, you know, we can go back door to door, a charitable foundation that was looking to do like a big holiday, you know, execution when people are kind of in the spirit of giving. And they're like, perfect, what did we do in 2019? It was literally the, here's what we did in 2019, dust off the little Excel grid media plan and like, let's go back at it. We're back. Yeah. And I'm like, a hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. No, <laughs> like we, there's no way in hell we are going to take a plan from years ago after all we've been through after consumer behaviors have permanently changed due to the length of the pandemic. After we understand so much more about mindset and we know how important that is and how it can be so different between people's demographics and our targets can have such different mindsets after all we've learned like we said in our 2021 revelations, just because you did it be once before does not mean that you have to do it again. So I think that's what kind of spurred that revelation of actually now seeing some clients and brands and marketers doing that. So saying like, hey, we're just going to go back to what we did now. And that's probably yeah. happening as we speak, right? Like a lot of those it plans are being executed and we don't know how it's going. A hundred percent it's happening. Um, without the even thought to say like, Hey, is an event now the right thing for us to do? We have to do that. Do we have to go to door to door? Is door to door the best way for us to collect donations? Is it do not even get me started. Ugh. Yeah. Like to engage a younger generation of supporters, no, even like thought to say like, Hey, should we be revisiting the way people behave now? So all of that aside, and we just like deal with it and go forward. Then I get in my inbox, which is what spurred this entire rant I had with Sean that brought on this topic. 
an article from Ad Age, which is marketing in 2022, five trends to watch. So I'm like, okay, what is it? I open up the trends emails always. I want to see what they're talking about. A lot of time it's kind of the same thing, like integrating digital and physical experiences. I'm like, okay. Digital. Physical and digital, digital. That was revolutionary. So in this trends email from Ad Age, it had some really good ones. One of which being, you'll say goodbye to long-term planning. So a top trend to watch in 2022 is you'll say goodbye to long-term planning. I was like, couldn't agree more. What are we talking about? I could not agree more. So it goes on to say, marketing plans used to change once a year. Now, once a week is too slow. MarTech tools let you develop campaigns fast, then adjust them in real time as data flows in on what's working today. And as AI uses that data to help predict what will work tomorrow. To quickly roll out new marketing, you'll need more tech. You'll need a marketing team organized for agility with a standardized process that includes clear roles and responsibilities and a unified approach to content and tone. I'm like, thank you. Just at a time when a lot of like brands and marketers are thinking like, hey, we're going to go back now because we're moving forward into where we used to be, apparently is the, the thought, is that big thinkers in our industry and thought leaders are also feeling the same, I think, kind of tension that you and I are feeling, Sean, in that long-term planning is no longer a thing. There would be an industry that would beg to differ. Yeah. Because <clears throat> the good student that I am, Lindsay was like, this is what we're doing. This is what I want to talk about, but it's not going to be just about this and blah, 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 blah. Open to your input when I ask you and don't say anything until I ask you. Uh, <laughs> So I started Googling last night because that's when we do our homework. <laughs> Nothing. I was like, how do I ask this? So I would put bold statements like, what's happened to long-term planning? Uh, is long-term planning thing of the past? Blah, blah, blah. Nothing. You didn't see anything? No, but maybe my Google was broken on my phone. Maybe the Lindsay filter. So it's like, don't give her any more BS to rant on. Well, like we do when we Google is we learn as like, you don't go in and say, okay, I'm going to type in a statement, whatever. It's like you, you start with the language and you start saying, okay, so what's, what's the right vocabulary? What's the right language I need to speak though, so that I know that, you know, strategy magazine or this magazine is doing a piece on this in early 2022. What was really interesting is a lot of the stuff that came up was from the 20 teens. Mm, yes. Did you notice that? 2014, 2015. Yes. Okay. So I did the same thing. So like four or five months ago when this client experience happened to me, as I'm still feeling the frustration, I see the adage article. I'm like, okay, let me challenge myself to say, am I wrong? Like, are people still going to do a lot of long-term planning? And is that going to be their solution? So I stumble across and I'm so pumped to bring this forward because it challenges our jobs. I'm always curious to say like, are we not needed in what we do? Do we need to do what we do as strategy planners differently? Because it doesn't work. Does it work? Does it not work? I believe in the work that we do and the value that we bring forward, but I'm always open to do things differently if we think it's not gonna work. So I come across this article then in the Harvard Business Review, ironically, Sean, from 2014. Right. Uh-huh. Which I think is like around that time. I saw a lot of stuff from around that time. Yeah, 2014, 2015. 
Yeah. Yeah. Strategic planning must have been like a hot controversial kind of thing that maybe people were starting to get into then. So the title of this article is the big lie of strategic planning. I'm like, perfect. Show us that our jobs are a sham. So I go in and I'm reading this big live strategic planning. Please, because I'm looking for something else. This is killing me. I'm trying to be a barista. So just I want to make bracelets on Etsy. This is the the the, the, the straw that breaks the proverbial back of the camel. Sean and I just launched our new business. It's called Baristas and Bracelets. So stay tuned for that podcast. I'm just I'm just doing the logo now. Hang on. Okay, quickly whip something up. So I get into this article, The Big Live Strategic Planning. Please read it. I'll put it in the references. It's so good. About halfway through the article, they get into this um, new kind of strategy philosophy. So it says, in 1978, Henry Mitzberg published an influential article in Management Science that introduced the notion of emergent strategy. Mitzberg's insight was simple, but indeed powerful. He distinguished between deliberate strategy, which is intentional. I'm assuming deliberate strategy would be what you would consider to be long-term planning right now. And this notion of emergent strategy, which is not based on an original intention, but instead consists of a company's response to a variety of unanticipated events. Pandemic. Pandemic. So, it then says, Mitzberg's thinking was informed by his observation that managers overestimate their ability to predict the future and to plan for it in a precise and technocratic way. So people overestimate their own ability to anticipate the future and plan accordingly, essentially is what that's saying. And I'm going to read one more little part because this just gets me so excited. If the future is too unpredictable and volatile to make strategic choices, what would lead a manager to believe that it will become significantly less so? And how would that manager recognize the point when predictability is high enough and volatility is low enough to start making choices? Of course, the premise is untenable. Listen to this closely. There won't be a time when anyone can be sure that the future is predictable. This is the basis of what they call emergent strategy. This was written in 2014. And I think this is the question everyone has been asking themselves over the last two years. When can we recognize the point where predictability is high enough and volatility is low enough to start making choices? You can't, that will not come. The time when you will be able to see what is going to happen in five years what consumers are going to be like, how you can predict that accurately in five years is not going to come. Hence, the shift away from the notion of long-term planning. Marinate on that for a quick sec. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> you could have prepared me a little bit, you know? There's about 12 points there. I know. So working on um, campaigns, for instance, in the spring of 2020, when all of this began, and 
in strategy and in brands, like uh, creative advertising and things, we plan like typically three to six months out with campaigns, like a big campaign as an example, like back to school season um, at a retailer or a holiday season. So we were trying to predict at that time what it would be like three to six months from now so that we could inform the creative enough to put work on TV and on social media and things like that that would actually resonate impossible it was impossible and so the way that we kind of tackled that at that time was different kind of scenario planning that was like a tool that we used we said if this happens we do this if this happens we do this etc well, but, well yeah just so people understand scenario planning is really to identify some 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 sort of general yet specific contexts mm -hmm. where you know it's this kind of person like we talked about not mindset per se, but around, you know, this demographic psychographic of person who feels this way and lives this way and makes this much of your blah, 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 right. are in a particular situation as it relates to a particular form of media mm -hmm. and how they consume, you know, how they consume, how they consume, meaning how do they buy, how do they consume content and all that sort of stuff. And that's, I think a lot of things Lindsay has been saying where, first of all, that's not truly it's not the best way to identify an effective context when that's where Lindsay comes out yeah. with this idea of mindset, uh, which is another one of her revelations. And it's that idea that it completely forces us all to relook at a process that was based on planning two years out, right? The planning company often being different than the execution companies right? and with different incentives. Because correct me if I'm wrong, a planning, you know, the strategic planner kind of agency was not truly accountable for the performance of the executions that their strategy trickled down to. hundred percent. So it's just this low accountability. And I'm not like, it's like, yeah, I, I, the only th way I justified success of any executions or big ideas I sold in was about picking particular metrics that showed performance in the positive ways, not even going down the routes where, well, why is this not performing well? You just didn't do that. And winning awards. Don't even get me started on awards. Yeah. Like someone very dear to me says, that's just us talking to ourselves. <laughs> He's correct. <laughs> what I'll say is I had a I had a conflicting moment and tell me Lindsay if I'm taking us off topic but it was a real conflict of but I don't think it is I think it all comes back to in the field of marketing based on a lot of the stuff we talked about last time which was the global trends and and marketing needs to take a step back and understand how valuable it can be and should be in making sure that businesses stay on track, do what they promise, uh, you know, support economies, do good things for consumers, and it extends far beyond making high margin or tons of money. But that's okay, so you're nodding, I can stop. No, it that's okay. <laughs> no, it's good. We think ourselves so advanced with the data and all that stuff. Yet we the behavior we don't change is we don't truly we speculate, we don't truly analyze. We speculate uh -huh. for the benefit of keeping our jobs, of sustaining the industry within which we contribute or are, are rewarded for. Uh -huh. um, and I think it's that idea of right. getting paid 
for secured work over a long period of time that is high margin, high value, like creative. And that cannot happen anymore, bringing it right back to creative is going to have to learn. There needs to be some kind of practice or model in place that enables creative to evolve at the speed of culture. Right. I 100% agree. And a strategy as well, right? There needs to be checkpoints in place or people who push strategy to the point of asking that question. Well, I feel that actually strategy is in it the best position to be the foundation for that change. The best position to, but not all strategic thinkers think that way. Agreed. So that would be my suggestion to brands and marketers who say, we're going to dust off our plan from 2019. If you don't have someone in a planning position sitting in front of you say, why is that a good idea? Why do you want to do that? Is that the right thing for us to be doing? If they say, yeah, okay. What do you want to get out of it? What, what information do you have? Are you really sure your idea is a good one? Or even just like, what did you do back then that were helping you achieve specific goals? Now let's look at your goals right now and the way that people behave and the culture that we're in and the mindset that they have and think about the best solution to achieve those goals today. If you don't have someone sitting in front of you saying that to you respectfully, <laughs> I say this all in the notion of respect and collaboration. If you haven't built a culture that allows for that too, right? And I think that's the other thing is, and we talked about this, what kind of culture needs to be in place that enables a very smart strategy person, the authority to just challenge. Right. I think that you're hundred percent right. Looping back to what we talked about before all around talent, like the talent required the environment, which in which you work, like you say, the, um, the culture of the workplace, all of those different things, the notion of collaboration, those all as well need to be in place for change like this to be able to happen. So it really goes back to talent first, for sure. And, and how can that person that you just talked about be incented or rewarded based on how you challenge that company? Because the model mm. right now is, it is not, no matter how brilliant a strategist is, your, your, your salary, your income, the livelihood of the company that you work for and love or don't is dependent <laughs> on you not saying, not challenging for the sake of losing the business. Because to be fair, I am not calling out bad behaviors from strategists. I'm calling out a structure and an economy and, and a, a model that absolutely needs to evolve. Because if you look at, we talked about this, if you look at say, how has healthcare, how has the healthcare model had to evolve over the last two years with a pandemic? You know, how, is, how have financial institutions had to evolve? They evolve because they absolutely have to. Marketing, it, it, it should, but it's definitely at the tail end of, of where people will see change has to happen. Mm. I think it's interesting how it kind of goes back to the work we're doing right now with reactive versus proactive leadership and that whole like mindset, mindset of how those companies operate, like reactive environments produce that environment of like mediocrity and repetitive things. And they would be the type of people who are because of fear and concern and safety for their jobs and things like that would dust off an old plan. Right. But we're encouraging you to not, to not do that. Yeah. I have this uh, quote that's pinned up in my office. And it says, when everything changes, the bold see opportunity. 
And I think that's where it's like, you can go backwards to what you once did and you can see familiarity and comfort in that plan, perhaps at the most likely at the sacrifice of performance, or you can see opportunity in how everything has changed and challenge what you're kind of dusting off and thinking about the right solution for today. Yep. Can I, uh, I was on LinkedIn this morning and it was on LinkedIn was on fire this morning. I, I find it has its dips, but can I quote someone? Yeah, please. It, I want to see if you see the correlation. Listen, I always do that. So I'm going to tell you something and I want to see if you can make the connection. So this is from, I hope I can do this, but I think I can. This is from Alexandra Panousis, very highly regarded. And she says, uh, we have all worked with them, the gifted communicators who are great at laying out a vision, but cannot land the plane. Yeah. The marketing industry is full of over promises. That's a bold statement. I hope 2022 brings the end of this. We need more doers. Mm -hmm. If you can drive action or help mobilize a team to drive action, you will find success. We need more of these people. The work is in the details. Vision is important, but it must be executed. Right. I wholeheartedly believe that to be true. And then she quotes, she cites Simon Sinek as quoting Thomas Edison, who said, vision without execution is hallucination. And I think there's a lot of hallucination. Say that when again. It comes to vision. Can I say it again? Yeah, say it again. Because I love it so much. Not because you said it not well. <laughs> you said it well. Say it again. <laughs> vision without execution is hallucination. Ooh. It's all finding good to have vision. It's all finding good to know your why. But if you can't execute it, then it's no value whatsoever. It's so true. The first things I say to clients when I meet them for the first time, whether it's an agency or a direct to client opportunity, it's that I'm a practical planner. That is not sexy. I'm a practical planner. And I say, I'm not going to hand you a strategy and walk away and say, good luck. I'm going to be there with you to execute it. It's going to be a very implementable plan. Whether yeah. that be a bit more simple because you can have more impact if you do less things, whether it be more a more practical approach to creative because it's based on actually driving conversion, whatever the case may be, I think a practical approach to strategy based on data, insight, research, and mindset is what is actually going to make something executable. I will tell you, I'm very excited and I love when I see things like what Alexander Panous has put in. Um, what I loved even more, she's got to be part of a culture or a leader of a culture and she's proving by example, but man, you should see the first comment I saw. Absolutely. Completely disagree. Really? And I just looked and I'm like, say? uh, go check it out. <laughs> Basically says doers cannot be visionaries. That's the problem. So he's, that is so not true. I am going to waste the rest of my day in this comment feed. But I, 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 I applaud this person for challenging a bold statement with a bold statement with a strong opinion, because that actually was even of greater value to me to see that reaction. And actually when he reacted, 
there was a lot of replies supporting what he said. So clearly, really? she has, yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Clearly, she has tapped a nerve. I think there is the big delusion or misinformation, an old school philosophy that strategists are thinkers and intellects and executionists are doers. If you can't envision the doing of your plan and how it might come to life, how are you going to know if it's feasible? How are you going to be able to direct anyone to execute the vision of your strategy? You need to be able to think through that doing lens at least at a bare well, minimum. I'll say it one more time that if you can't, then is your vision not a hallucination? Or, and also if it maybe, okay, so maybe some people really aren't doers. Maybe they're just- It's not wrong to not be a doer. No, but at least in, then you have to have even more of a collaborative mindset. You need to be able to bring in a doer to bounce around your ideas and to talk about the actual plan and how it would be executed. Otherwise, it may as well just be an hallucination. Yeah, and I think another thing, though, is his response. She made a bold statement. His response is 100% fear-based. So it's not someone who cannot do, it's someone believes that he doesn't have to do. In fact, if he's challenged to do, then he believes he is reducing his value. It is below him. And what was interesting to me is when I was mm. first at that, because it was digital, I became a creative director very early in my career. I'll be the first to say far too early, but uh, <laughs> spend the rest of my career learning how, how early it was for me. But it, I was the only one when I sat around those tables, all the agencies and, you know, we were a digital agency. So of course we count out to, you know, in praise of the ad agency and all those ones. I was the only creative director who actually did the work. Right. The budgets weren't $5 million. So it wasn't like a media or, you know, a media company who brings in a creative director. They were people who were creative enough to be the big idea to share that vision you and i lindsay experienced it other departments where we work presented and sold hallucinations all the time well and also because clients want to buy that sexy vision too right absolutely and then everyone complains that the idea gets whittled down and whittled down and whittled down to a banner ad it's like well it if they impossible. need a banner ad like if banner ad is what is driving the performance of their business results we need to have a practical approach to what actually needs to happen. And it's not just about winning pitches. It's about strategic work in the name of performance. I'll go back to, do you remember that first time we kind of had aha moments working together? We'd worked together many times, but more, there was an opportunity at a U.S. bank. It was big for us being in Canada. And they literally were looking for a banner campaign. And the person that came through was like, there's no money here. And we were sort of like, okay, but so we looked at the brief. It was like, this is really a smart brief. We mm -hmm. loved that they were, they wanted a banner campaign merely to test messaging. I mean, this was in mm -hmm. 2012 or something like that. So we're like, yeah, we like this. And guess what? At that time, or a lot of when I had my own business way back, my biggest moneymaker was doing banner campaigns. Mm hmm. So you and I looked at it, we went away and said, okay, well, we did a little bit of research and we're like, well, how much is it worth? It was worth $72,000. So they gave it to us because we could play with it. They gave it to us so we could play with it. But we took that time. 
where we sold in a sort of pitch and part of the pitch was we will do the work to fill the gaps of the data we know you don't have that would inform you on whether this was a smart decision or not. And apply a layer of strategy to, to the ask. And then we're going to, you're going to pay for that, maybe a third of that budget, at which point you decide if you want to continue. Right. And I remember they're like, okay, go ahead. And we did it. And I think we turned it into a $2 million partnership mm -hmm. in about a year and a half's time. And basically like worked that relationship in an agency as two consultants. <laughs> that was, I yeah. think, the beginning of all of this. And also I think needs to go um, on record that we had a very supportive client. Absolutely. Very collaborative. You know who you are. You're listening. Still love you. <laughs> I think you're in Connecticut now, but we'll leave it at that. Um, but also worked at a company that was very, that truly had an innovation model. Right. And we're even willing to say, don't pay us beyond our thinking if you, if you don't, don't like agree. it. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to say. And that's where the relationship starts. Anyways, great the conversation. One, the one closing thing I would say is that I'm going to go back on what I said slightly. I okay. think there is an art and a balance between short-term and long-term planning. I'm not going to say never think about what your brand is going to do in five years. I think you need Fair. to know your mission. I think you need to know what you're striving towards, the value you're trying to provide your customers or your consumers. I think what needs to happen, though, is a more agile approach to short-term strategic planning that takes into consideration mindset in agile. the moment and allows us to adapt in the moment so that we can resonate with people to make our shorter term activation stronger. So I will close with that. <laughs> yeah. I believe long-term planning is all about brand now. I 100% agree. So the long-term planning is around the investment behind the purpose of your brand and how your brand will grow equity. Mm -hmm. And what it, uh, you know, what success looks like beyond just making money. And that's the conversation everyone's having. And then that allows you to then say, what's the culture that allows or enables that to happen over five years? How are you going to do that? That's your mission. And then when we talk about the planning short term, planning has going to have to change. It's going to have to enable more doers to be at the helm. It's going to also have to enable um, a culture of collaboration. And, you know, like Lindsay said, it's not bad to not be a doer. What's important is that your vision is doable. Thank you so much. I'm so fired up. I'm, can you please immediately send me that post on LinkedIn? Because I am, uh, I'm going to be lost for the rest of the day. Okay. Wait for more because I'm going to, I'm chiming in. You think LinkedIn was on fire this morning? I'm not sure anyone has ever said LinkedIn was on fire today. <laughs> and I think I have a professional crush on Alexandra Panousis, but maybe that'll blow that. that that'll totally blow us getting her on this show. But <laughs> thanks so much, Sean. Have an awesome day. Goodbye, Marketeers. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. New episodes launch every two weeks. So be sure to subscribe to the Two Marketeers podcast wherever you like to listen. Or go to the twomarketeers.ca and connect with us. That's the twomarketeers.ca. Spell it out. We are everywhere.
Rocketeers Podcast. This podcast is over.